I told my bishop, my overseer, my pastor, what was happening with us, and he said, that's because, Chris, your congregation is out there. Amen. They're out there. The people that are coming each and every week, even though that's nice, that's wonderful, he said, your congregation is outside the walls of the church, and you're going to have to go out there to get them. And so the last couple of years, that's what it's been for us. We went ahead and, uh, and closed. Uh, uh, we didn't renew the lease in the building that we were in, so we moved everything out, uh, put uh, our office equipment and our media equipment in the basement of our townhouse, and put all the rest of the stuff in storage. God opened up an opportunity for us to return to school and get certified as master life coaches because we discovered that you're going to have to have uh, positions, titles, descriptions that the world understands. We couldn't go into the world as pastor, pastors, Chris and Carol Green, but we found out that when our title changed from pastor to life coach, suddenly doors were open and people were open. And the first door that God opened was uh, the Pennsylvania Career Links Job Club. These were folks who were looking for jobs and going through, through the reorientation to find new positions. Folks who had had their jobs for 20, 25 years that were suddenly laid off. Wow, that makes this pretty dramatic, right? <laughs> and needing to start all over. And so they started something that they called a job club for all of these folks who needed to be reoriented back into the workplace. And we were brought in um, through a woman in our church who was a recruiter for the job club. Uh, it was her, they made her in charge of the program. And she said, pastors with titles like life coach, I can get you guys in right away. And it's like, okay, this is what we want. Amen. When you get to go and there's a captive audience you don't have to convince anybody <laughs> because they're hurting, desperately hurting. And so even though they're being retrained and, and taught how to use a computer and get on the Internet and do resumes this kind of way and that kind of way and how to uh, do interviews in today's time, because there, some of these folks, they haven't done an interview since they were 18, 19 years old. Now they're 45 and 50 and have to do an interview. I'm like, what do you even say now? How do you even present yourself now? So they're learning all of that. But nobody's dealing with the hurt and the disappointment that they're feeling while they're trying to go through an interview. And the rejection that you feel each and every time you don't get the job. And so you're just, these are folks that are just being told, no, 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 no. Keep going for jobs. No, no. You go back to the Pennsylvania Career Link and you're given more tips and more ideas and more resumes to write and nobody's dealing with that broken spirit. I've, I've lost my job, my mortgage is on the line, my marriage is being strained. I don't know what's gonna happen to me tomorrow and in and in the midst of that type of trauma and hurt and pain and the state can only give me more um, job listings. The state can only give me more resumes to write. The state can only give me uh, ideas of what to try to do next. But in the midst of that, God sends pastors who are undercover 
I should say it this way, life coaches who are undercover pastors. And we went in each month. They they gave us a one-hour session once a month, and we go in and say, you were born to do more than work a job, pay bills, and then die. The one who created you has a purpose for your life. I was bold enough. I could say that. And my wife and I watched as we encouraged them. We shared our story, shared how when we first came to Harrisburg and needed to get a job and going through all of the trauma of trying to do job interviews and you're under this time crunch and and uh, you don't know how you're going to pay your bills and how do you present yourself positively in an interview when you've got all this pressure on you. And we begin to just encourage them straight out of the word of God without ever quoting chapter and verse. Everything's going to work out okay. You have a lot more in you than you realize. Words of encouragement. My wife and I sat there, or stood there, I should say, and watched people sitting there trying to be cool. Because in the midst of all of this pressure, no one, do you hear me? No one. These aren't people who go to church every week where they can get a word of encouragement. They don't go to Bible study every week where there's some brother or sister is going to say, hey, how you doing? I noticed that you've been down a little bit. Uh, What's going on? They don't have any of that. And if we don't go, they don't get it. And so God gave us the opportunity to go and to give them words of encouragement. He said, just words of encouragement? Did you stand up and preach the gospel message? Do you understand that the good news starts with just a word of encouragement? That's how Jesus did with people. You know how my father is? He cares about you. He cares so much that when you look at the birds and the sparrows and how they're well fed, he'll take care of you. You mean more to him than sparrows. That's all we were doing It's talking like that. You mean so much to the one who created you. You don't have to worry about how you're going to take care of yourself. You're here for more than just struggling, trying to pay bills. And they'd sit there and try to wipe eyes and and leave encouraged and uplifted. In fact, we were there for once a month for nine months. After nine months, they went from only 20 to 25% of the people getting jobs till it almost doubled to 40 to 45% of the people getting jobs simply because God sent some secret agents to where the people are. And we were able to leave our cards and say, now, if you want to know a little bit more, here's our card. You can go to our website. I didn't even call our weekly meetings because we started a home church group. But we just said, if you want to be part of of a group that meets once a week, and we go a little bit deeper in the conversation, you can go and you can contact us. In fact, one young man did, 20-something-year-old young guy, and uh, he had been incarcerated, struggling, trying to get a job, because former you know, ex-felons and all of that, they have a really, really hard time. 
and he was so down and discouraged. And you want you want would you believe this young man actually started coming to our meetings? This is amazing the things that we watch God do. So I'm saying this with I'm sharing this with you because God has us there. That led to us getting into the women's shelter. They started us off by having us minister and talk and coach the residents. The executive director, um, hearing what we were saying to the women, said, wait a minute, my staff needs this. My staff, the people who work with the women, need this level of encouragement. Do you know that staffs, the people that work with the with homeless, the people who work with the drug recovering, the folks who are recovered from drugs, the folks who work in the hospital, they need ministry too. Amen. We never think that the helpers need help. And so God released us and put us full time into the world to get to the folks who they're not going to come to church. They just aren't. You say, Pastor Chris, that's a negative confession. No, that's a real confession. They're not coming. How many of you, all of the fishermen that are in here, how many of you, you woke up one day and suddenly there was fish in your freezer? They don't just, maybe, maybe by accident, uh, one or two might jump into your boat while you're fishing. What's my point? You got to go out there and get them. And even when you go, you don't just throw a hook out into the water. There has to be some bait, something that lures them. And what we have discovered is the love of God is the greatest lure, <laughs> the most wonderful lure. And so we've been doing that, volunteering our services, and uh, you guys have been supporting us. You're one of, we only have a few. It don't take a lot, we've learned. You're one of the few that have been supporting us so that we can volunteer. We're, all the places that we go, we don't charge. We did all of that work, Pennsylvania Career League, but we started off working in the women's shelter. It's no charge to them. Why is that necessary? Because that's the pattern of Jesus. Jesus yeah. didn't go around charging people. That's right. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave. Amen. Amen. He gave. Yeah, the only thing that God came to take away was sin. That's the only thing he came to take was our sin. This reminds me of this little song, dear worshiper from back in the 80s and 90s. Kelly Willard used to love this sister. She sang this song. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave and gave. And he still gives today. And the only thing he came to take away was our sin so we could all begin to love this way to do the same thing give bless the lord come on give the lord a hand this morning thank you lord my wife and i are writers and so i just want to read to you what the lord put on our heart it won't be before you too long i've already said a lot already this is wonderful Remember when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached the first message of the church? It was a thorough account. His message was a thorough account of how that generation had responded to Christ. He included a historical and a prophetic content in it. And, and, but I want to, I want to uh, kind of jump into the moment while Peter was 
speaking. It's from Acts, the second chapter, starting at verse 36. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. If you want to start there, Acts 2, starting at verse 36. Our primary scripture today is going to be verse 40. But I want to take up this moment when Peter was delivering the first message of the church. He said, starting at verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Verse 40 is our emphasis for today. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. 41. Then those who gladly received his word were, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Lord, we thank you for this divine and sovereign moment, and we hold it closely in our hearts. Thank you, Lord God. Our hearts are open to you to speak from to speak through me, in spite of me, around me. Chris Green decreases in this moment that you would increase. May your people be fed literally yes. the bread from heaven today. Feed us, O oh God. Yes. <laughs> Breathe upon us, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to just talk with you briefly this morning from the subject saved from this perverse generation. And say that with me. Say, saved from this perverse generation. Bless the Lord. I want to read an excerpt from the book that my wife, one of the books that my wife and I have written. Uh, we've shared them with you guys, and you know, as you know, that was one of the things God commanded us when we moved here to Harrisburg was to give our material. We have 14 books, and 10 of them we give away. In fact, on our website, you can download them for free. And so one of our free books has an excerpt. It's a book called Knowing Our God, His Presence, Power, and Person, Purpose. And it's, our books mostly compile a weekly, they're a weekly compilation of, of uh, emails and blogs that we were writing every single week and releasing to our little small congregation and to different people around the country who were following our ministry. 
And so uh, one of the sisters who was receiving those weekly emails, she said, you guys need to take these weekly encouraging emails and put it all together into a book. And I'm like, hmm, that's a good idea. We'll do that. <laughs> and so every year, you know, 50 or so emails and blogs, we would compile all of those for that year and put and package it into a book. And so this is the 2012 book uh, called Knowing Our God. And in the introduction, we wrote this. As we start the year of 2012, this was our first email that we released to our faith family. What are you expecting for this year? Last year was filled with so much tragedy and loss that it's very easy to approach this year with a lot of fear and apprehension. However, we want to encourage you to put your hope in the Lord, put your expectation in the Lord. The biblical definition of hope is when we have a desire and an expectation that is based upon a promise from God. Let me say that again. The biblical definition of hope is when we have a desire and an expectation, but it's based upon a promise from God. This kind of expectation reminds us of the times when we would promise our children that we were going to take them to the toy store. All week long, they would drive us crazy in anticipation. They had been given hope because mom and dad had made a promise. That's what biblical hope is. Dad made a promise. So just like little kids, Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Can we go to, is the day today? Is the day? That's how we are with God. You made the promise. You made the promise. Is it today? Is it today? That's hope. It's an expectation because daddy made a promise. And we've got a track record with daddy. He always keeps his promise. Amen. So even if it's not today, we wake up tomorrow and say, is today today? Right. Is today that day yes. that you fulfilled the promise that you gave me? And if it's not today, then just like our little boys did, they wake up the next day and say, is today the day? <laughs> Why is this important? Because Day after day keeps going by and we don't see the fulfillment of the promise and we start doubting what God said. But the promise does not change. Even if it's not today that it's to be fulfilled, we are to remain in this place of being like a child with expectation, hope in God. Hope is not a wish. In American definition, hope is more like a wish. I hope it rains. That's what we say. I hope so-and-so comes through. I hope, but that's not what God means. That's not what the word of God means when it uses the word hope. Wow. A big reason we are so full of hope is because of the focus the Lord has given us for this year. This was 2012. This year, he's instructed us to focus on him. Our theme for, that year, for this year is knowing our God. This focus is based on two scriptures, Daniel 1132, 
the latter portion of that verse declares, and the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The second scripture is based on Philippians 3.10, which declares that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Corey Ten Boom, a Holocaust survivor and the author of the book, The Hiding Place, once said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. God. Let me say that again. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God, which automatically means we've got to get to know our God. Bless the Lord. My Lord. I want to just continue. So we have a promise from God um, about what he wants, what, what he has already declared about us for our deliverance, for our victory, for our success in this life. Let me skip this. I want to, because I really want to get to my point with you today. That's why you see me moving like this. For the past few weeks, this phrase has been stirring in my spirit. Be saved from this perverse generation. Kept hearing it over and over again. Be saved from this perverse generation. It's what Peter declared at the end of his first public sermon on the day that the Holy Spirit empowered the first 120 and birthed forth something that became known as the way. You do know that Christianity, before it was called Christianity, it was simply known as the way. We find ourselves as we are working in Harrisburg and ministering, having to use that phrase because the word Christian in the inner city in Harrisburg is now synonymous with uh, pretenders, fake, those who are coming in to gouge the community, to take judgmental, no compassion for where people really are. So we have been saying things like, well, we are followers of the way. And then the the ears kind of, hmm, hmm? Because the next question becomes, well, what's the way? I say, well, the way is what Christianity was before it got turned into religion. And then they're shocked. And so we are adamant followers of the way because that's what it was called originally. So Peter said, Acts 2, verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, and he said, be saved from this perverse generation. Here's how that phrase translates. In the Amplified Bible, it says, be saved or escape from this crooked and unjust generation. Uh, In the Amplified, in its classical edition, it says, be saved from this crooked, perverse, wicked, unjust generation. (laughs) generation. The American Standard Version says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. The King James Version says, save yourselves from this untoward generation. The Orthodox Jewish Bible calls it a warped and crooked generation. 
So I took the time to look it up in the Bible dictionary, and it's a Greek word pronounced or spelled S-K-O-L-I-O-S, scolios, and it means warped. It means winding. Figuratively, it means perverse, but more specifically, it means crooked. Means being forward. Some of you have seen that word many times in the Bible. And forward means it means somebody who is habitually disposed to being disobedient and obstinate. They are disposed to. I mean, it's just the natural inclination to be disobedient and, and to give you opposition. Even if they even if they really agree with you. They'll just disagree with you because that's just the type of person they are. <laughs> we have to be careful of that. I, I see that sometimes I see that spirit, that type of perversion now rising up in the church. We think of perversion is always going into, if we're talking about somebody um, being promiscuous or being in the gay lifestyle or, or, or somebody who's habitually into drugs or just we, that's the types of words we think of most of the time when we hear crooked. I mean, when we hear, yeah, crooked or perverse. But when you go into these actual definitions and you see things like just habitually disposed to being disobedient and, and giving opposition and obstinate, then it kind of helps us to see where, these, where the real definitions of perversion, we see it can creep up in the house of God. I noticed, for instance, that for a while, when we were sending out our weekly newsletters, that we began to get responses from certain people that spent more time nitpicking my definitions and what and and my uses of terms in the email rather than just receive. Amen. Yep. <laughs> just receive. Sometimes I felt like writing back. It's not that deep. <laughs> we're just saying, have a nice day. The Lord bless you this week. <laughs> but sometimes we can get to the point as we're in this walk with God, we get so uh, perverse or crooked because that's how the world is. And that mindset starts creeping in on us. We tend to just start listening uh, to the pastor or to teachers to see if they're going to say it the right way. Are they going to teach the doctrine that I'm already familiar with? <laughs> and as soon as you say it differently than what I've heard it before, or you do it differently than I've seen it before, then the opposition. And the Lord said, and here's Peter speaking at right from the beginning, calling people out of perversion out of crookedness, out of just being uh, opposing just because you can, out of analyzing folks instead of just simply receiving. Amen. Wow. Don't you love this today? Yes. I want to continue to look at some of those definitions. Untoward. It means a generation that's difficult to guide. Kind of changes the definition, changes or shifts it or helps us understand what Peter was calling people out of when he said, be saved or escape 
from this mindset, this generation that is difficult to guide. <laughs> difficult to manage, difficult to work with. Woo! <laughs> A, here's some more definitions. A, a generation that's marked by trouble or unhappiness. Sometimes we've come across people in our dealings, in our work, because obviously we're dealing straight up in this generation. Uh, the women we have coached, the uh, families that we have worked with in our years, of, uh, both in St. Louis and here in Harrisburg, of working with inner city families. Many families are marked by trouble. They're marked by unhappiness. This is not a statement of condemnation. I'm just telling you where they are. And what do you mean marked by it? It's, this is so familiar that when there's peace, they don't know what to do. They have to find something. They got to make trouble. Some of the words that they use in the, in the city, in the hood, is drama. I got to make some drama because I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to relate to peace. Nothing going on between me and mama. So if there's nothing going on, I got to make some trouble. Disposed toward unhappiness and trouble. It means not favorable, adverse. Here's a deep word. You'll love this one. Unpropitious. I said, what in the world does that mean? I, I always thought it funny when you go look in the dictionary to find out the words, what a word means, and they throw in these big, huge words. I'm like, I looked it up to find out what it means. Not <laughs> for you to give me more words to look up. <laughs> so I had to look that one up. I was like, and when you find out what it means, then you, if you're like me, then you say, well, why didn't you just say that in the first place? Okay, that's just... <laughs> Well, here's what <laughs> unpropitious means. It means not likely to have or to produce a good result. Not likely to have any good results. Not likely to produce any good results. Be delivered. He, Peter said, be saved. Escape from a generation where you're not likely to go have good results. No matter what they do, it's not going to turn out well. And aren't we looking at it? It's not likely to turn out well. And they're comfortable with it being that way. Here's the other word that was used, and it was, um, in, uh, it's called in, indecorous. I-N-D-E-C-O-R-U-S. In, let me spell it again. I-N-D-E-C-O-R-U-S. O-R-O-U-S. And then I found this one to be the most profound of all of the definitions. It means to be improper. <laughs> it means conflicting, check this out, conflicting with accepted standards. We see this strongly in America today, conflicting with accepted standards and the stand, whether it's the standards of good conduct or the standards of even good taste. 
It's hard to watch television these days. Regular TV. I'm not talking about cable or, you know, some network. Just regular. It's amazing to me the businessmen that are putting out commercials. The commercials that are tasteless. (laughs) And meaningless. Because their point no longer is necessarily even to sell the product. Just to get you to remember me. just to get you to come to my business, to come to my store. So they put out tasteless commercials. I saw an air conditioner billboard and the phrase on that, your wife is hot. And I'm like, excuse me. That's tasteless. Perversion. Tasteless. And then we wonder why our kids act the way they do. When you've got some 40 or 50 something year old business owner who thinks this is a catchphrase to sell air conditioners. And Peter says for us to be saved, escape from a generation that conflicts with just acceptable standards of good conduct and good taste. When you say generation, we're not just talking about young people. We're talking about a period in time, an age, and it can be a nation. And be saved meant to save yourself, escape, deliver. I looked up all of those words, and literally and figuratively, it means to heal, to be healed from to be preserved from. We meet on Friday nights with the leaders of our network of house churches. And this past Friday night, as we prayed, the Lord gave us a a prayer to help us take some intentional steps to, I'll say, to escape and deliver (laughs) and protect our spirits and to protect our souls and to protect our bodies uh, from this perverse generation, this mindset. I think I shared with you guys the last time that we were here that my wife and I, we don't even have cable TV. All we got is just uh, internet so that we can uh, minister through social media and our websites and all of that. But So we don't, we don't even have regular TV or cable TV. I don't say that to boast, first of all. It just it became a waste of time, you know, paying for something that we were hardly watching or using anyway. But we found a very different freedom in our lives now. We're not cluttered, cluttered by, we don't have the noise and the clutter anymore. Now, I'm not saying this to say if you have cable TV and all of that, you're going to hell and you're part of the perverse generation. But I would say this to consider the sources of your clutter and noise in your house and to make whatever necessary steps and adjustments that you need to make to be saved from this perverse generation. Um, We understand that, all of us, we understand this, that when we first become born-again believers, followers of Christ, citizens of the kingdom, followers of the way, whichever phrase you want to use, uh, we all understand that that took 
it took what Jesus did on the cross to make that possible for us to be saved. We all understand that. And we often use the word salvation when we use to describe that happening to us. Uh, salvation literally means to, to be delivered, to be rescued, to help someone to escape from something. It also means to preserve and to protect. So when we hear the word salvation, it's not only talking about rescuing somebody out of sin, but it's also meaning after you've rescued them, then you protect and preserve them. They're, they're, and from the from uh, God's point of view, it's it's all the same. It's not one or the other. Rescuing, protection, and preservation is what God intends as one big sweeping motion. <laughs> the reason why I say that salvation is often explained that. Um, as being provided through you. Most of us are familiar with these words in scripture. We hear the words justification, sanctification, and glorification. Familiar with that? Justification is what was done for us. It's what was done for us. God justified us. He freed us from the penalty of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So we, he justified us. He changed our position. We were disconnected from God. He changed the position from being, oh, you over there and God's over here. He rescued us and brought us and drew him to himself. Now we are justified, freed us from the penalty of sin. Then there's sanctification. Some of you have heard that word. <laughs> uh, sanctification is what is being continually done in us, we are being freed from the power or the influence of sin. And that's part of what I'm talking about today. Because for many of us, you may have gotten saved uh, in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s. And so there are some things that are just habitually a part of your life. Like being, it's like if you've been right-handed all of your life and salvation meant now you start using your left hand. It's going to take you a little while to get used to using that other hand because you were always accustomed to thinking a certain way, moving a certain way. One of the examples that I often would use is young men who have been taught to, uh, to uh, objectify women or to been taught that women are just gold diggers and they're just after your money. Well, a young man can come up and have a wonderful, beautiful experience and God gets saved in everything, but he has now has to be taught. He must have his mind renewed. So this is part of sanctification. He must now have his mind renewed, his thoughts renewed. He, he now has to learn if, if he was, wasn't taught certain ethics, like get up, go to work every day. He has to be trained, new way of thinking, new way of addressing issues. He may have always been a fighter. If anybody says anything to me the wrong way, it's, it's, like, it's like a knee-jerk reaction. You hit that knee. So what has to happen? He has to go through this, this uh, process of being freed from the influence of sin. Now, the problem is that for many of us, we have been taught that after we have been delivered from the penalty of sin, if we have a negative reaction, 
and we don't respond correctly, and we have one of those knee-jerk, untrained mind responses, we've been told, you're back under the penalty of kin, without understanding, no, this young baby believer is now in the process of sanctification, being delivered from the power of sins. The or best way I can say it is the influence of sin that's been on his life or her life. Now they're in the sanctification process. Isn't that great to know? So it's justification, sanctification. Justification is what was done for us. Sanctification is what is being continually done in us. Then there's glorification. I love this because this will settle us for today and what I'm talking about. Glorification is what is revealed or seen through us. And it's the result of being delivered from the very presence of sin in some area in our life. Once there, even, there isn't even the presence of sin, now you can see, now Jesus can be glorified and be seen in that area. Isn't that wonderful? I heard, heard one brother say, justification, sanctification, and glorification is what the first two look like. Many times we've used that, for, that phrase, Jesus be glorified, Lord be glorified. He may not have really known, what does that mean when you say glorified? Well, glorified is what justification and sanctification look like when complete. Amen. This is what a life that has been justified and sanctified looks like. You see Jesus. Yes. <laughs> So then you understand why Peter would say in the first sermon, the very first sermon in the establishment of the way, be saved from this perverse generation. Why? So that Jesus can now be glorified through all of us. Thank you, Lord. And now we usually think of this primarily as something that happened in our spirit. This is where my wife always helps me. But this also applies to what's happening in our soul, in our heart, in our mind, in our emotions, and in our will. And did you know it also is talking about be applied in our bodies? This past week, we prayed a prayer of salvation over our bodies and our souls. It was the, it was the strangest thing. I just started praying because... Different ones of us are dealing with things in our physical bodies. And if you've got sickness or something having going on in your body right now, don't receive any condemnation. I want you to hear this word and receive your healing today. We stood and we began to pray. Uh, Mom had a prayer request. Others of us well, got things that we've been dealing with. My wife and I have been battling with thyroid issues and, and it's in a part of our family line and all of that. And so we prayed and I said, Lord, just like when I prayed and asked you to come into my heart. And I said, Lord, I've, I repent of my sin and I confess that you are king and Lord and I ask you to come into my heart. Lord, I ask you to now do the same thing in my body. I want salvation in my body. I pray the prayer of salvation for my body because you died on the cross 
those stripes were taken for my healing. So just like I received you as my savior, can y'all hear this today? Come on, do that right now. I receive you as my healer. <laughs> the same way I did when I confessed you as king and Lord of my life and you came into my heart and you changed me. Lord, I received the same thing for my physical body. You are my healer. Save me, Lord. Just say it. Lord, save me. <laughs> save my body. Let's uh, sanctify my body. Yes, sir. Pastor already didn't hear it. Sanctify my body. May I be free from sin's influence in my body. Sanctify my mind, Lord. Some of you were, were mental health challenges have been there in your family line and maybe even for you personally. Come on, just pray the same way. Just think about it. the same way you prayed and asked the Lord to save your soul when you got saved. Now say, Lord, do the same thing in my body, in my mind. Yes, Lord, I receive it now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, deliver us and save us from every perversion, every crooked way, every crooked mindset, everything that's been in opposition to you in my family line, generational curses that pass down from one generation to another, health challenges, mental challenges, financial challenges, we receive your salvation today. I receive it now. I receive your salvation today. Did you have anything, dear? Thank you, Lord. Come on. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Um, what he was sharing, with, I have been reading a book about uh, John G. Lake, who God uh, called to be, he used him as a pastor, as a missionary, and as a healer. God, uh, whatever God wanted to do, God used him in this. Um, and it talks, it's, the book talks about his life. It gives a short biography, but mostly what's in the book is, are his sermons um, and what he taught. And it, it, he talked about how as uh, Chris uh, shared about how salvation not only comes to your spirit, how God not only, but it comes to your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, and to your body. Um, um, this, it happens to be one of my passions about being healthy, um, eating right, taking care of ourselves, being you know, not only good stewards of, of our children of our, um, and of his word and of his purpose and destiny for our lives, but of our bodies as well. Um, we can open doors to the enemy when we are not good stewards. So it's I'm it's a passion of mine to to for for the people of God to um, not only be healthy spiritually, but to be healthy mentally, emotionally, and physically as well. Um, so when I when I read this, um, it, it just never occurred to me I, I, and you know, that salvation comes to 
my body as well. I mean, our minds are renewed, you know, so that our hearts can change, so that we can receive God's viewpoint, so that we can live the life that is pleasing to him. But it never really occurred to me that you do that with your body, but that's healing. That's how God heals us. We, um, we receive what Christ did on the cross. We are healed by his stripes. So, you know, all, so, you know, all of this is for me, coming together for me um, uh, so that you receive his salvation, but you also have to close the doors. You have to eat right. You, you, know, you have to be good stewards of your body as well. That's necessary, and we don't really think about that. So, I, um, so of course, I shared this with my husband because we have been dealing with um, thyroid issues. Those are in our family, and I wanted, and, we, and I've been, uh, um, cha I've changed our diet. Um, we exercise. We we try and eat right, and so I've been still been asking the Lord because you, um, with that there, you feel tired all the time. I can wake up tired. Um, so when I found I read this and God gave me understanding about it, I thought, Wow. Okay. <laughs> so I talked to Chris and we prayed and and God is. I mean, I've been waking up with energy, and I haven't, yes. <laughs> but, but I haven't done that for a long time. But I've also had to change how I ate. I had to change my diet. So I, and so it, but it closes the door yes. to the enemy. He can't attack my body because I've closed that door. And so if that's you, just stay up here, dear, so we can just pray together. So if that's you, just right there as you're sitting, just saying, Lord, I, I, I do close the doors. Remember how when you first got saved, you said, I repent. <laughs> I repent of my own way and every sin. So do that now. I close every door that I open that made me unhealthy emotionally, unhealthy mentally, unhealthy physically. I close the door. I repent, Lord. I turn to you. And I receive your salvation. We respond to Peter's cry. Be saved from this perverse generation. Lord, I will not give you opposition over this. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I will not be obstinate. I say, yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For some of you, you will be the door closer for your entire family. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You, I hear the Lord saying, some, you think that the stress-filled life that you're under, it feels so normal to you that you think of it as normal, but it's not. Being stressed, being unable to sleep at night, tossing and turning, um, this isn't normal. Thank you, Lord. Panic attacks, anxiety, this isn't normal. Some of you are struggling with depression, and I want you to understand, those that may not know anything about depression, it's not just a mood. It is an actual issue. And again, this isn't out of condemnation, but we close the door. Just say that to the Lord. Lord, I close the door where I've left myself open for the enemy to come in. Yes, Lord, attacking my mind, my emotions, my will, my physical body. Some of you, your depression, it is chemically related. So that means that's, that's an attack upon your body. You feel it in your emotions and in your mind. 
but it's an attack on your body, on your brain, on the chemistry in your brain. So close the door now. And what I mean by close the door is, Lord, I acknowledge you. I receive you, your Holy Spirit, your presence in this area of my life. The same way I received Jesus when I got saved. I receive you, Lord, in my mind, in my body. Yes, Lord, in the chemistry in my brain. Thank you, Lord God. Whatever's going on in your body right now, just say, Holy Spirit, I welcome you here. I welcome you here. Yes, Lord. I know it's a different way to pray for healing, but the Lord showed us that instead of just praying for healing, now just simply receive the salvation. Receive what he's already done. Yes, Lord. He justifies you. The condemnation, it's broken now. Some of you, the reason why you haven't received the healing is because you've been still living under, uh, under condemnation about what you did and what you said and things of the past. But we break the power of the enemy off of your life. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So now you are free to receive the healing that has already been paid for. You are justified. Yes, Lord, you're not under the penalty of sin. You're not under the penalty of death. Death has no reason, no reign, no right to your body. Thank you, Lord, to your mind, to your emotions. It has no right. Come on, just say it. I'm justified. I'm justified. The Lord justified me. That's right. He saved me. He freed me. I'm not under the penalty of sin. I'm not under the penalty of death in my mind. I'm not under the penalty of death in my emotions. I'm not under the penalty of death in my body. I'm not under the penalty of death in my finances. I'm not under the penalty of death in my relationships. I'm not under the penalty of death on my job i'm not under the penalty of death thank you lord i am saved come on let that take on a whole new meaning for you i am saved my whole life is saved every part of my life is saved thank you lord i am sanctified i'm being freed from the influence of sin on my mind on my body i am being sanctified set apart Thank you, Lord. And Lord, I thank you that you are you're getting the glory. You're going to be revealed. You are being revealed because I am delivered from the very presence of sin in this area of my life, in my entire life. In Jesus name, we pray. Thank you, Lord. But we are saved, God, from this perverse generation. We are saved. <laughs> thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand today. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah.